Hello and welcome back to another episode of Anchor Down. I am enjoying this podcast so much. Just every aspect of the process, the interviews with all my guests, the recording, the uploading, the feedback from you guys that I've been getting on Instagram. It's been so exciting and I'm so glad to be bringing you more of these. Today we have a good friend of mine, Will Carmack, on the podcast. He is a freelance video effects artist living in Brooklyn, New York. Will has also been doing YouTube for about 10 years now. He also found a audience on Instagram in the past few years with his amazing cinematic visual effects stories that he shoots. We talk all about how he started that YouTube channel 10 years ago, what he learned from doing that and how he managed to jump straight out of university and start working for YesVery and help create some amazing social content for them and their clothing company and how from that opportunity he managed to jump to continue working with brands like Vans and Red Bull. So we talk about all those things and about navigating the freelance world and how boundaries can sometimes be blurred between freelance work and brand work and should you be paid extra for that this was a really great conversation i had with will the other day the microphone setup was a little bit different to the previous episode with christy so apologies if uh the audio is a little bit different in places but once you get into it i think you're gonna really enjoy it so without further ado here is episode three with will Carmack. how are you doing willet hello andy burgess i'm doing all right i mean i'm doing as good as you can do in a global pandemic you are in like the center of it right now right yeah i'm in new york and yeah i think there's over a hundred thousand confirmed cases just in the city which is insane bro that's crazy what's it like like what is your day looking like well i i'm being very responsible i never go outside maybe except once a week to get groceries but I, i'm not really seeing any like impact because i'm so far removed from like manhattan which is mm -hmm. where most of this is happening it's crazy because like just a month ago we were at a convention with thousands of people and which yeah. is like which is like the worst place to be at oh my god but, but yeah. at the time it was just so like oh it's not our problem and then we were at disneyland with thousands of people in star wars land just <laughs> like oh well it's in italy like right now we're just here like making our star wars videos <laughs> <laughs> yeah it, it was like the last thing on our mind i know oh man yeah what how things have changed i know i miss the good old days a month ago but moving on i have to say congrats on your keto i just saw like the recent video you've done you have made a very big change my friend thank you yeah i used to be fat and now i'm not <laughs> like i didn't know too much about it i'd like heard of it and then when we were together in florida like you were talking about it a lot you and uh, andrew were doing it yeah and um yeah, it's just awesome. And your video was so cool, too. Very inspiring. Thank you. I, I don't think I would have been able to lose weight if I hadn't turned it into a video project. <laughs> because honestly, what I think about when I'm working out is how good the before and after shots will look rather than like my own health, which which I, I'm not too upset about. That's just how my mind works as a filmmaker. Mm -hmm. But it's the the best way for me to do anything beneficial for my own life is if I document it because it gives me a creative project and every creative project I do I want it to be the best possibly can 
And since that is now like my health, it's been super good because I've been incredibly healthy since it's technically an art project for me. That's cool. Are you going to continue like making videos about it? I know last time we spoke, you were like thinking about it. Yeah, I, I originally was only going to do the keto diet for three months, but I, I, I noticed that three months has passed. It's been four months on the keto diet and I still enjoy it. I'm still losing weight. And so I'll probably keep making keto videos until I literally can't lose more weight. <laughs> That's awesome. Oh, dude, guess who I spoke to yesterday? Who did you speak to yesterday? No, guess. Try and guess. Uh, Mar. No. Kiara. No. Andrew. Think um, how we got connected years ago. Oh, Joe Binder. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Joe rung me. How's he doing? He's doing all right, man. Um, he rung me and we had a talk about stocks and shares for about <laughs> an hour. <laughs> of course. Um, for people listening who do not get this inside story at all, uh, Joe is a mutual friend. You used to watch him on YouTube. He was a YouTuber for a long time. He now runs his own business. Yeah, Joe commented on one of my YouTube videos in like 2013. And so I started watching his stuff and I just really liked his vlogs. And that's how I met Andy. Because then I got kind of connected with the British YouTubers. Yeah, it was nice. We had a nice catch up. And yeah, he was just talking about how he's investing his money. And I was like, cool, man. Like, um, got me thinking about some different things. So you've been doing YouTube for a long time, right? Yeah, 10 years. 10 years. So yeah, before we jump into like what you're doing now, take me back to 10 years ago. What videos were you making? Have you always been like a photo video person? Well, when I was a kid, I really loved Legos. And when YouTube came out in 2005, there was like a surprising abundance of Lego stop motion videos on the internet. And so for, for years, that's like all I consumed on YouTube, just like when it first came out, because I was probably like seven years old and in love with Legos. And so when it came time uh, in 2010, when I started my YouTube channel, I was like, I'm going to make stop motions because I love Legos. <laughs> and so <laughs> for like the first year of my YouTube channel, I just made like Lego stop motions, not thinking anything of it just because it was fun. And then uh, I remember seeing Ray William Johnson. Do you remember him? No. Is he like an OG YouTuber? Yeah, he was like an OG commentary YouTuber. He like reviewed okay. viral videos. And I remember realizing that that was his job. <laughs> and I was like, what? That's so cool. This guy makes money on YouTube. And so I already like had been making stop motion videos for so long. I just got used to uploading. And so I just started making little vlogs in like my room in like 2011. And, you know, it just kind of evolved from there. I feel like that's how everyone starts. They start making stupid videos in their room. And then you went to, did you go to film school? Yeah, I, I went to college for um, cinema. So I have a Bachelor of Arts degree in cinema. Ooh, you're so proper. I know. I'm prestigious. And you only graduated a few years ago, right? You've um left college and just went for it. Yeah, I graduated. God, I, I didn't even, I hated college so much, man. I didn't even go to my graduation. Well, this is how crazy it was. While my class was graduating, I was in a Starbucks three blocks away editing a YouTube video. I was so done with school. It was like, I am not going to go graduate. That's so dumb. I hate everyone. 
No, no, I didn't hate everyone. I just hated the concept of school and like the formal procedures of school is just like something I resented. I don't know. It just seemed dumb because I, 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 when you study something like film, you know, your success comes directly from whether or not you're good, not, not like your scholarly achievements. And with all the, with all the video projects I did in school, there was probably like four when outside of school, I had probably had already made a hundred YouTube videos while I was in college. So I was already at this point getting work as like a freelance uh, videographer. And I've never once had to show any clients I've landed, like my educational credentials or anything like that. How did your classmates react? You were doing cinema. How did they feel about YouTube and like the videos like that you were making? I remember when I was making like YouTube films, people thought it was so silly and like pointless. But listen, all those people are like still cash registers at like KFC or Chick-fil-A trying to break it in traditional film industry when the most profitable way to be a filmmaker now is if you do it online. And so I felt like I was already always like ahead of the a curve just because, you know, film professors, when you tell them, oh, I've been working on like YouTube videos this month, you know, that's so far like ahead of their time. They don't know what that is. Like they don't get like the significance of doing that. So I feel like a lot of my peers at the time thought it was just kind of like the silly thing Will was doing when really it was giving me more film practice than any of them had ever done. Because if I'm making, at the time I was, I was making three videos a week. Now, if I'm making three videos a week for four years and these people are just waiting to make videos until it's like a project they get from a professor, I am like objectively going to be better at them or at least better at holding my camera. Like, it's just one of those things where you get used to the things that you do often and I'm more comfortable with a camera with a camera than I, I I imagine most people were when they left film school. That's so true. Film's a tricky thing to teach because it's always like rapidly updating. Like I remember our professors were teaching us on Final Cut Pro when I was already using Adobe Premiere. But even then, if they were using uh, Adobe Premiere to teach, that that software updates like four times a year and it drastically yeah. changes. And like these professors who teach film made film back when you used film. It's like what they know better than us is like probably storytelling and traditional film components. But what's what makes a good traditional film is not what makes a good modern YouTube video or advertisement. I mean, the way the world is dictated through media now is like, I'd say fast paced, like narrative storytelling online. So it's like, if you want to go onto the online space and you're studying film, the people teaching you don't know, like aren't well equipped to teach you what you want to learn. And that's why most YouTubers are like self-taught because no, you can't study YouTube, the YouTube algorithm and all that stuff at film school. Yeah. Like I, I would actually be really interested to be on like a film set one day or to sit in with like a traditional film editor and just see how it's done. But, um, that's not the world I'm in. I would just be curious because I know there's a lot of traditional ways of doing things that I have no clue about. Um, but the way I do things, it works. Yeah, I, I do say the value I did find in college was the people I met and like the opportunities a college gives you. Because 
My big break into the industry was working for Yes Theory, which was a YouTube channel in Los Angeles. They're like, they're like a big channel. And, and the reason I got that job was because someone I had met at my college told me about them. And so it's one of those things where you meet so many people while you're in college. One of them is bound to be the person that like is the catalyst for your career or your most important connection. So I think college is almost worth it just for the people that you meet. Because, yeah, you're paying for connections and like human relationship. Because let's be honest, like you're you're spending four years study, and and I'm speaking exclusively for like non-essential majors like art, music, and stuff. Understand that you got to go to college if you're gonna be like a doctor. But when you're an artist, it's very much about who you know, and you gotta really focus on the people they meet in college because they can lead you to your next big connection, your big job. And so, yeah, even though I hated everyone in college, I was everyone's friend. Because, I mean, it's, it sounds terrible, but the, the film industry is very much just like the social hierarchy. And, and you have to, like, squeeze your way in somehow. And then once you're, once you're in, like, this general pool of people who make content, your name will always come up just because you're in that industry now. And I, I would just add a layer to that. And this is what I think you did as well. You can correct me if I'm wrong, but with like the yes or anything. So you were connected and then you were also ready to act and show um, your value. Didn't you like then create a video that like kind of called them out that you wanted to like work with them um, and you showed off everything you you did? Yeah. <laughs> so I, I wanted to work for Yes Theory, but I had no clue how. Like, it's just one of those things where I was like, I want to work for these guys. And, you know, they weren't actively looking for interns or employees. So I did what I know best. And so I made a YouTube video challenging them to hire me. Um, and at the time, I had already taught myself special effects. And so I made this two-minute pitch video that was filled with dope special effects and, and all the skills I could provide for them if they wanted to use me. And so, yeah, I just... Um, it, it's one thing to say that you can do cool shit... But if you can show people that you, you make great stuff, um, that, that works even better, especially when you're trying to sell yourself. So I basically made a, a, a two-minute reel, but the whole reel was like a, a monologue I was, I was saying for why they should hire me. And then you, uh, yeah, and then you moved out to California, right? Yeah, five, day, five days after I posted that video, I got a DM on Instagram from Amar, one of the guys from Yes Theory. And he was like, hey, let's FaceTime. And so we FaceTime. He told me he would, they would love for, to have me. So I proceeded to shit in my pants and then moved to Los Angeles. <laughs> and because that was so exciting. I mean, what are the odds that would work? I mean, you take your favorite big YouTuber. You send a video to him saying, hey, can I work for you? I mean, how often would that work? And so that was so exciting. And this is straight out of college for you, right? So you've just finished college on... Were you on the East Coast? Yeah, in Virginia. Had you been to California before? No. Wow. So that was a big step, right? I mean, I haven't been to Virginia, but the way you've described it, it's very different from Los Angeles. Yeah, Virginia's super boring. It's just like a big farm state. Lots of horses and cows but I, I had lived in Virginia my whole life by, at, by this time, and, and I had visited enough places to know how boring Virginia is in comparison. So I was so ready to leave. Like, 
a month after I graduated, I was living in Los Angeles. I, I think those moves really like define you though. I had a similar thing when I moved to New York and I was like in this brand new space. It completely throws you out of your comfort zone. And then it's just like, okay, well, I need to find a way to make this work. How, how do we do that? Yeah. You gotta, when the, when the going gets tough, the tough get going. <laughs> and that kind of started you on this like freelance route, right? How is it now? Well, that's a good point. Actually, when I moved to LA, I was Yes Theory's intern and they weren't paying me. Well, they paid me enough for transportation. Like they gave me $500 a month to like take Uber to and fro from their studio. But, but that's fine. I don't blame them for doing that. I actually told them if they hired me, I would work for free. Just to give them more incentive to hire me. I essentially just wanted to uh, leave college and, and become a part of like the YouTube community. And this that to me seemed like the best way to do it is to immediately work for someone who's already established. And so what was nice is when I was in LA, since I worked for Yes Theory, specifically like their clothing brand that was getting a lot of attention, I started getting like offers from real like uh, big like corporations to do freelance. Like, uh, I remember when I started doing work for them, I got hit up by Red Bull to do some freelance for them. And so that kind of blossomed my freelance career. Cause even though I was working for yes theory, I still needed to make money. So I started doing freelance for different companies while I was out there, which turned into like most of my income actually comes from freelance. Now YouTube is more of a side hustle at this point. I would like YouTube to be my main thing just because I would be able to make money doing whatever I wanted. I, I mean, like I'm such an asshole, bro. I just want to be my own boss. I don't want to have to listen to people. And I, I, I'm not apologetic for that. It's just like, that's how I operate. You shouldn't be a tool dude. Um, yeah. Like that's, that's, I mean, that's a big reason I went freelance. Like, I yes, when you're working with clients and stuff, you have like people telling you what to do or like checking over stuff. But I just can't. I'm so bad with authority. Like if I work for somebody, I, I just it just doesn't work for me. I'm just not built that way. Yeah, me either. So I think that's where like I found like a good balance as well with like that freelance world. Um, but a lot of the stuff you're doing that's freelance, it's still for like social brands, right? On like on platforms and stuff. So it's all it all kind of links back, right? Yeah, it's actually kind of frustrating how it links back because since I do have like an okay following on Instagram or YouTube, a lot of my freelance work will turn into like a brand deal because someone will hire me. Like for example, I recently got hired by Vans to do some special effects work for them. And then once they once I sent my pitches uh, of the videos that I would shoot for Vans to like their, their media department, they're like, oh wait, can we actually substitute all the people in these videos and have it just you on camera and then you post it on your Instagram. And I was like, fuck man, like sometimes these companies can't like differentiate between me doing freelance for them and me like just giving them a shout out with like a special effects post. And so that's something I'm still trying to navigate. Cause like, uh, Another one happened last month. I was doing freelance for this company called The Edge Desk, where it's like the stay-at-home desk. They just wanted <clears throat> a few special effects promos to use as Facebook ads. And and then they were like, hey, can you post this stuff on your Instagram as well? I was like, no, I don't want to do that. And when, when I told them that, they're like, oh, well, we'll just give this um, this job to someone who'd be willing to do both of those things. What? 
That's I, not cool. I know because like they realize they can get freelance videos that they can use for their socials as well as like a social push for my accounts. They I, when I when I told them I had an issue with that, they did pay me more to do the brand deal. So I, I ultimately did it because you got to make money, you know, but it's it's tough because I, I kind of wish my freelance and my social media careers would act as like two different things, but they kind of get blended in together a lot just because it's more convenient for the companies that I'm working with. Yeah, that's an interesting one. Um, Maybe we should just set this up for people if they're not too sure. A traditional brand deal is like when a company comes to you, Will, and they're like, hey, Will, we want you to promote X product on your Instagram or your YouTube or like an integration. And you will make like a 30 second to a minute integration when you're talking about that brand. So that's like a traditional brand deal. And then the stuff that you're doing is freelance. Like you are making social content for like vans that's meant to live on their platform. So yeah, then the, the boundaries blur when you have an audience on social media. Yeah, uh, a, a good example is that last year I did uh, like an eight series like promotional thing for HP printers. And I remember HP printers asked me to post it on my Instagram. I was like, no, I don't endorse printers like that's so off brand for me and like even though they hired me to make videos for printers you can't really make any printer video cool obviously i did the best i i could and they were happy with the end result but it's nothing i would ever put on my socials yeah i i, I remember when i started out the first i think it was maybe the first like commercial work i got i was just doing snapchat and a whiskey company reached out to me and they're like hey will you make us like this like trailer and I'm like, this is nothing like I do, but sure. Um, but that was like, like, I wouldn't have promoted that on my socials. They didn't ask, but it's like completely off brand. Luckily, I've been in situations where the company has appreciated that and they've understood it. I went to Peru with Free. They're like a phone network over here in the UK. And initially they were like, okay, we're sending you out on this trip to Peru and we want you to make a bunch of social content for us. And then on top, they were like, we'd also love you to make like daily Snapchat stories and a IGTV video at the end of it. So when I was like working out how much I was going to build them, I was adding on top the costs of a brand deal on top. That's, that's the way to go, man. Yeah. You nailed it. I mean, it's a cent like it was like double the workload, but. It it was cool because I could like I could use a lot of the same content and just like overlap it. Yeah, the best the best is when you get a deal that you can repurpose the brand deal content into your own stuff. And like travel opportunities are always the best way to do that. Oh, for sure. Well, I think this this was like at the time, this was like the highest. I mean, I don't know if I can say how much I got paid, um, but it was it was a lot of money. And I was like, you're gonna pay me to go to South America on a trip of a lifetime and pay me on top <laughs> to make snapchats are you kidding that's the best and it was like yeah <laughs> but also then you're like the pressure is on to deliver because you're like okay i'm being paid all this money i better make something great you know? yeah and and you want to get more deals like that it's like yeah. i want more companies to take me places so i gotta show these other companies that i'm worth it yeah exactly you have to like really deliver on it it's not just like a quick payout or whatever um, or if it, if you treat it like that, you're probably not going to get that opportunity again. Yeah, I agree. Do you do a lot of uh, like back and forth with companies on like pricing and stuff? Do you find like people push back? Yeah, because I, I, I charge my day rate is like a thousand dollars and 
which is good for me. But here's what I do. I was like, hey, my day rate's a thousand, but you have to hire me for at least two days. Okay. Because because it's usually like a day of shooting and a day of uh, editing minimum. Yeah. yeah. And so, and let's say I get like five freelance jobs a month. That's a lot of money. And so I try and weed out all the shitty jobs by just throwing the high price because yeah. inevitably you'll get the, the high price ones. And like by that logic, I technically would only need to work like 10 days a month to make 10 grand. Mm. And when you think of it like that, you, you become more comfortable with only throwing out high numbers because it's like, it doesn't matter if I lose a few jobs because they don't want to pay that much. The jobs I do get will pick up the slack from all the jobs that I don't get that only wanted to pay me like a few hundred dollars. Yeah, and it's like you wouldn't want to, like if you didn't feel like you wanted to do those jobs, then like it's not, um, like it's not worth your time. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. There's there's like certain exceptions. You know, uh, I guess I shouldn't say the name of this company, but there's a company that I have always wanted to work with and I and I recently got the a great opportunity to do a lot of work with them and it's a big company like it's a it's a company that works directly with celebrities and i was like oh these people have a lot of money and i i I told them my day rate was a thousand and they were like oh we're actually our budget for this for videography is only two hundred dollars and i was like are you kidding that's like that's so insane. Like I've had local restaurants offer me more money than that. And, but I, I still just said yes, just because this is a brand that I would love to work with in the future, not because of the money they pay me, but because of the people they have access to. And the opportunities. Like, exactly. Like, for example, I think I can say this. I was going to do some video, video work for Lizzo, who is like this big female rapper at the moment. And, and even though it's such a low-paying job, if I post content that I shot with Lizzo, that just puts me in a more of a power position as a freelancer. Like, look at these people I've worked with. Lizzo, Ariana Grande, you know. It's, it's yeah. one of those things that just puts you in, like, an upper echelon of freelance if you, if you work with celebrities. So you kind of have to make sacrifices sometimes. You have to weigh the benefits of getting paid and, and also, like, the social reach you can get with the, the content that you're shooting. It's a conversation I don't think a lot of freelancers have with each other. I, or at least in England, they don't. Like, I, the way I try to move forward, I'm always trying to be really open and honest and having these conversations with other friends and trying to get their inputs in it. But there's, like, a weird stigma, maybe it's just in the UK, that people don't really like to talk about, like, jobs with each other. Um, no, I think that's pretty universal. Yeah. I see. I'm really open about money and work and whatnot because I feel like you have to be. You know, freelancing is such a weird, ambiguous world to be in, yep. and it helps so much when people are willing to talk about money, how they get work, etc. Because, listen, there's enough jobs to go around. It's not like if I tell you how much I get paid by Red Bull, you're gonna go steal my job at Red Bull. It's like. If anything, it it helps creators like recognize their own value. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, I am like, I I am shocked sometimes when my freelance buddies tell me how much they charge. I'm like, yo, you could be charging like five times that amount. Yeah. So when did you start positioning yourself as like a VFX artist? Um, I just remember being in college. And, like, all the stuff they were teaching us was so, like, basic. 
I was like, how can uh, how can these people expect me to leave college and go work at National Geographic if they're just teaching me like how to do jump cuts? <laughs> and so I, I remember I had like this moment in my screenplay writing class where I looked around at all of my fellow classmates and I was like, man, if I keep studying at the rate the college is teaching me, I'm going to be as good as everyone else around me by the time I graduate. And it's not lost on me that the film world is incredibly competitive. And so you kind of have to go into it with this mentality where you got to make sure that you're better than everyone around you if you want to get any kind of jobs. I know that's like a negative mindset, but that's how I thought. And, you know, it's worked out really well for me. I started teaching myself After Effects when I was in college, once I realized that we weren't we were all learning the same things. And I wanted to make sure that I left college knowing more than all of my other students. You know, it's just like, uh, I, I, I am like on paper more likely to get jobs if I know more softwares than the people around me. And there's this incredible uh, VFX artist, Lay Emotion. You know her, Yeah, man. Right? I met her a few times in New York. She's awesome. Yeah, and so I remember like discovering her Instagram page and being like, whoa, like people can make these crazy like videos that are so unrealistic but pretty. And I remember I just started teaching myself After Effects. And so by the time that I finished college, I would have I would consider myself a special effects editor. It, it was like my way of standing out. Yeah, it definitely is. And I love the way that you combine it with storytelling and like how you kind of set up things. We were talking, you made a video the other day. Was it with Sarah Dietschy? And it was like a laptop review. I think I texted yeah. you about this, right? And I just really loved like how fresh it was. It was just like, a unique take on um, uh, kind of like a tech review. And at the same time, you were like, well, I did all this on this laptop. Yeah, it was like a, a really good way to showcase how powerful the laptop was. Yeah. It was like if I this. put a bunch of really cool and fun effects in this video, it, it shows the audience how, how great the laptop actually is. So I always, like more recently than when I used to, I try and incorporate special effects to like just showcase... I don't know, maybe a better storyline or the value of a certain product or object. Special effects, if done right, can be a really good like uh, storytelling tool. Yeah, I guess they can definitely be overused. Um, but I, I think you have a nice balance. I, I think you do. Well, I'm going to like wrap this up. But um, I, I hope you stay safe in New York. Um, and this was fun. I mean, I have so many other things I want to talk to you about. But like, you know, perhaps another time. Perhaps. Perhaps. Andy Burgess, I hope you stay safe and you have a lovely day as well. Guys, again, if you have made it all the way to the end, thank you so much for listening to the whole episode today here with me and Will. I hope you got some insight from it. Will is a funny guy, a blast to be around. You can find all of Will's social links in the show notes below as usual. And we're three episodes in now. If you guys are listening to this and you have questions that you would like me to answer or things you think keep popping up that you'd like me to go into a bit more depth on, um, please let me know. Send me a DM on Instagram. That's probably the best place to get hold of me. If you're on Apple Podcasts, a comment and review would mean the world or just to share this with a friend next week we have a good friend and a musician on to talk all about the music industry and i think that's going to be a really great take because 
I haven't been in that world in a long time. I, it used to be my everything. And I'm really excited to bring you that conversation in the following episode. But until then, I hope you guys stay well, stay safe. And yeah, I will. I always say I will see you in the next one, but I won't because this isn't visuals. But yeah, you know what I mean. I'll, um, thanks for listening and talk to you next time. Does that make more sense? Okay, I don't know. See you later. Bye.